Nice to see you all. Welcome this morning. If you're a guest with us, we just hope that you are uh, feel comfortable and welcome. You're just, yeah, you're loved already. And just want to say hello specifically to those who are gathering online. You know, we've kind of, it's been about a year since we've been having in-person services and still about a third of our people are choosing to participate online. And of course, when all of you are comfortable to come back in the room, we would love to have you in the room. But in the meantime, welcome. And can we all say welcome to those who are online? Yeah, all right. Well, my knee continues to bug me, so I'm going to sit. We are in week nine of our service through... uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, and we're taking it just a phrase or two at a time. So let's get right to our scripture. Would you stand? I would say with me, but stand in spite of me. There we go. (laughs) And let's read this scripture together. Ready? Go. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Uh, Each week, I love listening to you read these scriptures. And don't worry, there's some confusing scriptures towards the end about burning coals or whatever. We'll get to it eventually and explain. But in the meantime, that's just like an ongoing teaser, right? Yeah. Well, today, persevere in prayer. This message series is all about how we in the Christian community posture ourselves um, before one another and how we posture ourselves before a world that is wondering if there is indeed hope at all. And at the beginning of Romans 12, Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And each one of these invitations that Paul gives is a way of helping us to practice and posture ourselves appropriately so that we grow in the way of Jesus together. Today we will persevere in prayer. I'll give you a little roadmap of where you're going. For those of you taking notes, encourage everyone to take notes. It's a great way to retain what you are learning and gives you something to look back at later so you can ask God, remind me of what I learned, and he will do that. Okay, so this is where we're going. First of all, we must misunderstand prayer, and therefore we don't persevere in prayer. We'll make some comments about that. Prayer is the pathway to spiritual maturity, so we must persevere in prayer. Um, 
The third thing we'll address is that the Psalms, it's the, the book of the Psalms called the Psalter, right in the middle of the Bible, it guides us into real prayer, persevering at the right effort within prayer. And then uh, we will take a look at the first four verses of, <laughs> I, I went four, we <laughs> have the three over, yeah, uh, of Psalm 25, an example of how praying the Psalms deepens our spiritual maturity. So that's where we're going and we'll get right to it. Ready? Okay, here we go. Yeah. Well, a few years ago, I was invited to uh, preach at a men's retreat, and also attending the men's retreat was, an also, was another well-known pastor, and uh, he is a man of vision and strength. Uh, this pastor captivates a room when he's speaking. He coaches also wrestlers and track athletes in the Olympics, and he's been a missionary to the gulags of Russia, and he speaks in such a way that you feel uh, one could conquer the whole world. So he was there, and I was intimidated by his presence to a certain uh, extent. We were standing around before I was to speak with a group of men, and uh, he was vouching for me. He was saying, he said, Isaac is great. Isaac is tremendous. Uh, and I was beaming, you know. I thought he was about ready to say, you know, uh, wait till you hear him speak. He's so funny. He's so thoughtful. He was the original TED Talker. That's what I thought he was going to say. Um, but then he said something to the group that startled me. He said, he's a great speaker, but wait until you hear him pray. And I was startled because before I was going up to speak, I was thinking about how to use my humor, how to tell good stories, how to explain the scriptures. I was focusing on the things that are in my control. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about prayer. I was thinking about me. But this great pastor was excited for me to pray. And maybe he was being wise enough to clue that group of men into what is really important, prayer. My natural impulse is not prayer. When problems arise, conflicts mount, illnesses are unleashed, I tend to think of what I can do, what my gifts or skills can accomplish, or how I might fix this or that situation. Furthermore, when I want to grow spiritually, I tend to find something to read, someone else to listen to, or I phone a friend. <laughs> And these impulses obviously are not intrinsically wrong, but the longer I'm a follower of Jesus, the longer I pastor others, the more I realize that prayer is not the outcome of spiritual maturity, is the means of spiritual maturity. Prayer isn't what mature Christians do. Prayer is what Christians do to mature. Hmm. Well, spiritual maturity is required to navigate a difficult world. Have you noticed that the world is difficult? Yes. I will make no more comments about that because you know it is. Yeah. <laughs> In order to become spiritually mature, we must learn the odd pattern of biblical prayer. Prayer is an activity that aligns our selves with God and his way on earth. And many of us, we, it's why you're here, it's why you're tuning in online, is you want to be aligned with God. So if prayer gets us there, then why don't we pray with perseverance? Or as Paul says elsewhere, more challenging, pray without ceasing. <laughs> and I, I just offer four observations, explanations this morning that will challenge and relieve you Four reasons we don't persevere in prayer as we should. And you might find yourself here in a couple of these observations. First of all, we in our society have been taught to interact with what we see, what we can taste, smell, touch, and hear, you know, the senses. 
So prayer for us modern, sophisticated people, please note the sarcasm, I'm very unimpressed with us. Prayer is not natural. We live in what is called a disenchanted culture. We think we can explain everything. And if we can't explain it now, soon we will be able to. And our society tends to think of everything in, in material terms, what we can sense. And so communication with a timeless, unseeing being is odd to us. This is a part of why it's a struggle for us to prayer. Note, here's a clue. Relative to the whole of history, relative to the majority of the population on earth now, we are the odd ones. Us having trouble acknowledging or engaging the spiritual world, we are the, by far the minority within human history. Most cultures have a far easier time acknowledging and interacting with the spiritual world than we do. We are the strange ones. Are you with me? That's helpful. Okay, that, but that's one of the reasons we don't pray um, maybe as we could or should. Number two, you've been told that prayer is easy. Um, you know, prayer, some have said that prayer is simply a conversation between us and God. And that is true. Yes, it is. But it is not a conversation with a projection of what we think God may be like, or more accurately, what we want God to be like. The scriptures teach us that God is holy. That means he is other than us. God does not exist within our collective imagination. If he did, that would be us conceiving of God. But rather, God exists outside of that. Therefore, prayer will be odd because while God stoops to us to foster reconciliation, that's the good news of Jesus coming to earth. <laughs> he wants to foster reconciliation. He is not a cosmic golden retriever. Come. <laughs> so be of good cheer. If you have found prayer to be difficult, it is because it isn't as simple as a conversation with your friend who already agrees with you. Prayer is a holy engagement with a holy God. He's not on our terms. Now, he's very gracious to us, but he is not made in our image. We are made in his. Okay, I think that's part of why we don't pray. Because then you go to prayer and you feel like this is hard and you feel like you're the strange one. I think it's because some we have not understood that prayer um, is doable, not however easy, in part because we're not just talking to a friend. Okay, number three, you've prayed and it doesn't work. Many of us have experienced that. Okay, a prayer. I pray, I ask for good things. This is good things that I want and it doesn't come to pass. And that keeps us from praying. I'll say this to start. God is not a cosmic vending machine. <laughs> Just the right amount of change and then you can get what you see that you need. Prayer doesn't get things done in the way that we are accustomed to believing or hoping. God is not a slot machine. God is not an arbitrary ruler who occasionally dispenses wisdom or direction or favor. Rather, God is revealed as the suffering servant in Jesus Christ. Listen, true scriptural prayer works on us all the time, but does not work on our terms 
or promise outcomes that we prefer or want. This is a part of what keeps us to pray. We start to think, I'm, I'm asking, I'm not getting. Prayer is always working on us to align us into the will of God. We'll talk more about that in a moment. At times, we get to see the results of our requests and praise God, he is with us. But even Jesus, his prayers were not answered. If there is another way, could it be? And then he had to say, Jesus himself said, but not my will, your will be done. And the fourth thing, and maybe this encompasses the, the previous three, we approach God as a means to our happiness. We live in a culture that is predicated upon, I mean, we state it, we're very honest about it, the pursuit of happiness. So we tend to live into our happiness and we tend to pray into our happiness rather than praying into the revealed Son of God, Jesus. As such, we are more formed. What is more natural for us is to be happiness machines, getting better at manipulating and creating our own happiness than being formed into Christians. Now listen, it's my job to be honest with you. Life on the terms of happiness and success and achievement and moving up the social ladder doesn't promise to go well for the Jesus follower. Jesus says that we will be persecuted because of him and actually we'll find blessing within that. Jesus says to love our enemies and that sounds very nice and tell you love your enemies. You know what will get you in trouble as a Jesus follower? Refusing to bow to the polarizing anger of the world. The Jesus follower critiques both sides of any divided group or issue, and God refuses to be bound to a temporal political arrangement as if it is eternal. If we follow him, we must refuse that as well, and that will not always go well for us. Jesus doesn't make us happy, but following Jesus instead makes us people who walk in the truth. And I believe the promise of scripture is that we learn to grow in contentment and shrewd joy as you follow the Lord. But you are asked when you follow Jesus to live for him and not yourself. And this sometimes doesn't make us happy in the temporal sense. Living for God means that God is going to ask for all of us, not just a part of us. Again, he's not just the golden retriever coming alongside to affirm us in whatever we are doing. He is calling us to follow him and to walk in his way, to be holy even as he is holy. I know you guys are like, does it get better? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus' journey, his journey is ours. It is the prototype of our journey. A life that leads towards the powers of the world crucifying us. But as Jesus said, but for the, or as the scriptures say, for the joy set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. There is joy in walking in truth that the world does not comprehend, even to the extent that it would persecute us who are following Jesus. Jesus said this. This isn't just Isaac's thoughts, right? Jesus told his disciples, Matthew 16, if anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? 
Prayer shapes us for this journey with Jesus, losing our lives so we can find our lives. Stanley Hauerwas and Will Willimon in teaching about the Lord's Prayer in a great book called Lord Teach Us. The Lord's Prayer is found in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. And they say, prayer is not forgetting what we want, but rather for bending our wants towards what God wants. The world has misshapen us and told us that life is about us. God will always have reality on his terms. It's about him. So prayer is the pathway to this kind of spiritual maturity. And so we must persevere in prayer. And when Paul says in Romans you know, 12 to persevere in prayer, he means that we should be continued to be shaped by this prayer. This odd exercise that shapes us according to the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus. Through prayer, our desires begin to align with his. And as we grow as Christians, we discover that we don't actually have the ability to pray as we should. That we are often malformed or underformed by malformed and underformed prayers. Prayers that are not birthed from Scripture. Prayers that are birthed from the wishes of our own imagination, centered on us being, uh, getting our happiness. But how well is that working out for a culture that is about ready to kill itself? Furthermore, and this is, you've seen us writing more prayers and saying more prayers together. I think that coming up with words to God is a burden that we might not be meant to carry in the way that is common around our extemporaneous church culture. So God has not, however, left us out or abandoned us. He's given us a way to pray. And if we are willing to be identified with the characters of Scripture, we're in good company. For the disciples said to Jesus, out of apparent need, Lord, teach us to pray. And so, the Psalms guide us into real prayer. Persevering at the right effort. Giving us the the full vocabulary and point of view that is necessary to be able to engage with a full and robust way of prayer. Prayer that is not based upon our anticipation of what reality is, but on God's. So the middle book of the Bible is the book of Psalms, and it's called the Psalter. Everybody say Psalter. (laughs) And the Psalms teach us to pray. Rebecca Poe Hayes wrote a couple of articles this last year uh, on praying through the Psalms, and she says this, foundationally, the Psalter is God teaching us how we can and should pray. So today, I would like to just, for example, go through one of the psalms that we are going to pray together this week at nhgroups.org. nhgroups.org is our community group site, which has daily devotions and prompts every day that you can go to. And I encourage you to go there and pray with us. And we will go through Psalm 25 um, uh, today in order that we might, and I'll give you some examples. Here's what I think, though. It's my firm belief that You know, I'm going to tell you some things about what might happen as we pray through the Psalms, but understanding it is not how we change. As Laney said, that we are transformed as we actually pray. So through a lifetime of praying through these, we are formed in a way that that leads us towards maturity. Not just knowing about what the scriptures say, but actually engaging with praying through the Psalms. So as we do this today, I want to maybe... um, 
whet your appetite for what God might do as we pray through the Psalms. But it is the activity of praying through the Psalms that will actually transform and mature you. And so that is what we are doing. I probably over-explained that. Okay, well. Okay, so here's the Psalm that we'll pray. Let's read this out loud all together. Ready, go. Oh Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. Do not let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. No one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced, but disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. So this is an ancient prayer um, that is preserved for us. And a part of why it exists is to teach us how to pray. So we'll take it a phrase at a time. And again, um, give you some thoughts of how God might shape us as we pray this. That first phrase, oh Lord, I give my life to you. Those first words, oh Lord. From the get-go, this psalm teaches us how to talk to God. The Jews did not utter the name of God, but would often use this word, Yahweh, which we translate as Lord, because God's name was holy, set apart, not to be disgraced by just common utterances. We have a different understanding of language and the way of God. And I'm not saying that we should not say God, but I am saying that this teaches us that this is a vertical relationship. Oh, Lord. It means master. In that book I mentioned by Will Willimon and Stanley Hauerwas, I love this quote. They say this, God is not some great basket that we can fill with any warm, fuzzy thoughts we choose. Some amorphous something that is the mystery left over after we have explained everything else in life by other means. The writer of Hebrews gives us a phrase that should sober us but also excite us, and I'll explain. The writer of Hebrews speculated to be a woman who worth this. She writes, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And here's the phrase, for indeed our God is a consuming fire. Before God is anything else to us, he is other than. He is holy. Scripture says that he is the potter. We are the clay. And think of it. That's actually very good for us. What we don't need is some spiritual coach who just lives above us in the stratosphere. A heavenly cheerleader. Good, good, not so good. I know you all, you're not so good. It's fine. It's fine. Did you like it? That's not what we want. The needs of our real lives are much deeper than that. The needs of our world are much deeper than that. What we want, what we need, 
And what we are given is Lord over all creation. Oh, Lord, Master. In the psalm just before this one, which will also teach us how to pray and transform us, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world, the cosmos, and those who live in it. Praying the Psalms helps us to persevere in real prayer. He is God. We are not. O Lord, I give my life to you. The next phrase, I give my life. The NRSV translates this more literally. O Lord, to you I lift up my soul. I bear before you the whole of me, my precious and frail, my scared and real insides. I am naked before you. In the Psalms, we are taught to pray honestly before God. We're not taught to filter or censor our prayers, but to be honest. On Friday, Donya and I were praying through some psalms together and I connected with the holiness of God. And you guys, I've told you that my knee is giving me trouble and I got a bad report last week suggesting that I will no longer be able to do something I've loved for most of my life to be able to run. And as I was praying about that, struck with the holiness of God, I began to thank God for every run that I've ever been on. I began to thank God for the runs I've been on with my dad with my son, with my wife. And then I began to weep because there's real mourning and a sense of loss. The Psalms help us to be honest before the Lord. I give my life to you. The Psalms help us to persevere in real prayer that we are humble before a holy God who is a consuming fire. The next verse says, I trust in you, my God. Do not let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in defeat. This phrase, I trust in you. Trust is not a general belief. Trust is banking on something with all that we have. Trust is an action that is counting on another's action or presence. When we pray the Psalms, our souls are prepared to act in real faith. The trust requires action. Prayer, in other words, slowly changes us into being people of courage. And when we are confronted with the reality of who God is, we are both sober that we should put our trust in him. And then also we are reminded of how perilous life is without trusting him. I trust in you, my God. Now, this phrase, my God, God is not ours in the sense of us being the owner. But Paul later writes, a similar idea of what's getting, being got at here in Philippians chapter 2, verse or 3, verse 12. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this, spiritual maturity he's talking about, or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. To make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me, made me his own. Praying the psalm shapes us into our faith and our conviction that this is my God. He has possessed me, and so I take hold of him in completeness and fullness. I am my beloved, and he is mine. It's an old song that nobody knows but me. Okay, yeah. Oh, did you sing it? Yeah. Oh. That's right. 
His banner over me is love. Oh, good. I'm glad there's people who are older than me in here. <laughs> you, know. you know, there's dad jokes, and then there's like pastor humor, and they both are appropriate in very small doses. So, <laughs> The next phrase, don't let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. Praying this psalm shapes us so that we take account of our lives and the effect of our lives. Don't let me be disgraced. Here's something that the scriptures have taught me over the years that much of our reputations we are responsible for. Praying this prayer, praying this psalm teaches us that our life has meaning, that our actions matter, and that others who oppose a holy God will rejoice if we let our God down. Our culture does not teach us personal responsibility very well. We don't teach virtue very well. We tend to think that we can do what we want, when we want, and that the highest value of life is our freedom and autonomy. But in God, we are given freedom, the freedom to choose the higher way, the better way, the the way of love, the way of sacrifice, the way of holiness. And when we pray this line, the scriptures are training us that we can be disgraceful, that our actions do have an effect, and that we should ask God to help so that we are not a viable object of the enemy's scorn. It teaches us to appropriately see ourselves. Verse three, no one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced, but disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. When we pray this line, we are reminded of what is ultimately true. This is grace. We trust in God, which is not just about a cognitive belief, but an action, putting our whole weight of our lives into his hands. If we submit our lives to him and so refuse to cut corners um, and make a mockery of God's grace, we will not be disgraced if we do this. But, and here is a general pastoral calling to all of us, If we live in such a way that is deceitful, in a way that is not integrous, if we cheat, if we lie, if we refuse to tell the truth, if we blow smoke in the face of others, if we cover up, if we steal, disgrace will come. Prayer, scripture, or psalmic prayer. (laughs) I just made that up. (laughs) It's an adjective. The prayer of the Psalms heightens our sensitivities towards God and what is real and how much our lives matter in terms of the effect of them. The final verse, and we'll come to a close here in just a moment. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. What a beautiful request. When we pray this line, we figuratively see the path that is ahead of us. And we are admitting through prayer that the path that we should choose is difficult to see. The world has erected all kinds of false signs. Happiness here, satisfaction here, meaning here, your purpose here. Half truths like you will be complete once you are married. Or... Wealth building is a neutral enterprise. Or worse yet, pornography doesn't hurt anyone. We need to be shown 
illuminate before me. The psalm says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. I cannot see on my own. We feel so privileged in our culture to think that we can make life happen on our own. But it is a train wreck. I cannot see as I should. The Psalms teach me to pray that so that it's in my heart, in my mind, so that I'm going to God for direction. Not just phoning a friend or looking at Facebook or Fox News or CNN or some other garbage like that. Are you with me? Life is far too serious for us not to be led by a true and holy God. We need to be shown. It is the activity of praying these words over time that shape us. And we, we live in a very a microwave culture, a get it now culture, a drive through culture, a culture full of answers. And so we can lose patience that we are transformed slowly over time, not in a moment. It is this beautiful reality that every decision matters and yet it makes so, so little difference in our big arc with God over time. If we are faithful to him, he will be faithful to us. So our big point was prayer is not the outcome of spiritual maturity, but it's the means of spiritual maturity. So I have three invitations for you um, in terms of application this week, some concrete things that you um, can do and participate with. First of all, I invite you to join us tonight at 6 o'clock <laughs> to affirm. <laughs> Danya was confused at the beginning what the time it was. 6 o'clock tonight for a time of worship and prayer. We will pray some of the Psalms. We will be exhorted towards uh, Thanksgiving um, and we will be able to share with one another what God is doing in our lives. So join us tonight. Um, that'll be a, a wonderful time. Number two, pray the Psalms each day with us at nhgroups.org. Each day there's a, a different Psalm that we are praying through, and we just want to give you a simple prompt to be able to do that. And again, we're not promising some magic transformation, but I do promise you if you pray them regularly, the rhythm of Scripture will change you over time. And also, I promise you that you probably don't have the words to pray. And that's okay. The Psalms are there for us, to help us. And the final invitation is for you to be freshly aware of or reminded that we have Stephen ministers. These are individuals who are trained in uh, being able to engage with you, sit with you, pray with you, to be prayed for. People are trained deeply in prayer. Um, if you're going through any kind of painful thing, grief, divorce, um, challenge, difficulty, confusion, struggling with doubt, or struggling with your faith, Stephen ministers are trained to walk with you. And to sign up for a Stephen minister, you can go to our website at inewhope.org. Um, and we would love, do we have the cards? We talked about, okay. There's, we, cards in the back of there's cards in the back of the seat in front of you. Thank you, Lainey. Yep, she's on it. Uh, yes, we would love to pray with you. Um, yeah, you'll be hearing more about that in the coming weeks. So in summary today, we've learned that we misunderstand prayer and therefore don't persevere in it. Also, that prayer is a pathway to spiritual maturity, so we must persevere in it. And that the Psalms guide us into real prayer, persevering in the right effort. I want to conclude with just a, um, an example of somebody that learned to pray the right prayers over time. And it changed their, her life and significantly 
changed many lives. This is Mother Teresa, who upon receiving the Nobel Peace Prize in 1979, led the meeting in the prayer of St. Francis. Here is someone praying the right kind of prayers. Lord, make me a channel of your peace, that where there is hatred, I may bring love, that where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness, that where there is discord, I may bring harmony, that where there is error, I may bring truth, that where there is doubt, I may bring faith, that where there is despair, I may bring hope, that where there are shadows, I may bring light, that where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved. For it is by forgetting self that one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. It is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. Amen. If you're familiar with the work of Mother Teresa, engaging with the poor, the destitute, the broken, the dying on the streets of Calcutta, that's the goal to be willing to be so moved by the reality of God that we would give our full lives for a hurting and broken world. We develop the spiritual maturity, the, even the ability to be able to pray such audacious prayers or to live such an audacious life as Jesus, as Mother Teresa did, when we are immersed in the reality of who God is revealed in the scriptures praying the Psalms. You're probably like me. I'm tired and fatigued by the empty religion of the Western world. I'm invigorated by the real scriptures, the real God, a real calling, a real power, a real presence to make a difference in the world. And I think Jesus is inviting you and I right into that. Well, each week we receive communion at the end of our service and it's our way of walking in obedience with what Jesus has said and also reminding ourselves this is not on our power this is not on our strength this is his strength within us and he has done everything possible to make us new in him and so today for our prayer of confession um, we pray Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2, together in preparation for communion. Would you stand with me? And we'll read this together. Ready? Go. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. 
according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Uh, Chris is going to be on one side and I'll be on the other. And over the next few minutes, invite you to come forward to receive the elements of communion, take them back to your seat, and sometime during the next song, partake of that, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. This is an open table. And what we mean is if, if you're trusting Jesus or on your way to trusting Jesus, you're welcome to participate. You don't need to be a member here. Um, all are welcome to participate. Okay, come and receive. <laughs>